Okay, everybody, get your uh, your iPads out and your iPods, and uh, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Good evening. Is there a little bit of uh, tint of, uh, of autumn in the air? We call this our fall session. Did it feel like it today? Nah, it felt like summer, right? How about this morning? Did it feel like that? In the morning, okay. And it's starting to feel cool out there right now, right? Well, we're we're, we're uh, we've had our winter sessions and our spring sessions and our summer sessions, and uh, now we're into the into the fall sessions. And um, when where we have been, we've been on the uh, how did uh, how was it worded by John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress? The delectable mountains. <laughs> in Ephesians, the first three chapters, we just kept getting higher and higher up to that summit. And uh, we finished off with Paul's amazing prayer. And uh, in that amazing prayer, he prayed that we'd be strengthened with God's might, with all His power, comprehending with all the saints the breadth, the height, and uh, the length, the depth, and whatever that is, and whatever the extreme excesses are. And they're not excesses, but you can imagine. And then to comprehend with all of them, not only that, but that we would have uh, this love that surpasses knowledge that goes into uh, our experience and being filled with the very fullness of God. So all of that just kept leading up to being filled with the fullness of God. And uh, when we think about it, as we go to Him in prayer, uh, when we ask Him of something, uh, He can do much more exceedingly abundantly than what we even ask. And uh, what kind of God is this, right, that does all this for us? So after reaching that kind of peak that we've been at and just uh, looking at all what God has done in those first three chapters, we now have to come down from the mountaintop and go down into the everyday living. And uh, but but we don't we don't want to see this as a downer here. You know this is our daily life. This is our living. This is really where it's at. And so we're at a transition. We make a quite a transition. We go from what you could generalize as doctrine now to practice, or doctrine to duty. Uh, we we've had a position already stated. Now here's our practice uh, where we're at. Uh, we come to a big major division. And the first section actually dealt with uh, who we are in Christ. We saw that we were chosen and predestined and Christ atoned for our sins and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit forever to preserve that, uh, the increases of our joy and our riches. And then we put on the very display of the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers as far as the church is concerned. And uh, when we look at now what we are to do, it's of supreme importance that we walk this this Christian life out. But we first have to know what God has done. I wouldn't want to start the book of Ephesians right in chapter 4. Here's what you do without knowing who God is and what He has already done in our lives so that we can do it. And that's the way it always is. Doctrine first and then duty. Uh, so often it's it's easy to tell people, do this, do that. Get all the do's in there. But if they don't have the doctrine, if they don't have that knowledge of what God has done, 
then doing the things is something that is out of the flesh. It's not going to have that power. Um, I think when you look at the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's probably no greater display uh, of doctrine than these first three chapters of Ephesians. Now, you might uh, counter that with Romans, but I'm saying, I, but ultimately, I don't think there's any greater display of it. There's some just as great. The Word of God uh, compares itself with each other, and it's they all. Uh, every scripture always wins. <laughs> but um, we have no right to stop at chapter three. We 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 don't have that right to do that. It would be nice to take the first three chapters and then move on. <laughs> but chapter four says, okay, now here's what we do. Uh, so we have practical application. Bibles that are even called Life Application Study Bible. They're geared to, here's how you live this uh, Christian life. But we have the privileges and we have the blessings. My, we've seen that week after week. Months after months we've been looking at that. And this tells us now how we are to live the Christian life. How to live the Christian life. Sounds like a good title for a book, doesn't it? How to live the Christian life. Um, We do have obligations. We do have requirements. Even though we have been graced we have um, requirements as far as being God's children as we live in this family. We're expected to show what has happened to us on the inside and manifest that on the outside. Well, as we get ready to uh, start chapter 4, I was, I was looking for somebody uh, coming in because they, they told me twice or three times that they were going to be here and uh, somebody's a brand new Christian. And, uh, but, but we're here. But it was, it was somebody new that had never been here. I said, well, it's a great place to start. We'll go in chapter 4. And so I was going to go a little bit of a review on that. But they didn't make it, I guess. So Does that happen to you guys a lot? I mean, people tell you, I will be there at 7 o'clock Monday. They might have been Told me that after I'd invited them once, they came in a second time. And said, I'll be there that Monday. Happens <laughs> so, a lot, I don't know. Anyway. That's true. That's true. I need, to, I need to be reminded of that. Anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done, what you continue to do, what you will do uh, through eternity. We thank you for your word and uh, that we can count on all those blessings and promises that you have shown us, uh, especially in this particular book we're studying. This is a great epistle. and May we not ever take it lightly and uh, realize how you are uh, desiring to bring yourself glory as you work through us. And as we look at your word tonight and we embark on a new study, that uh, our lives will change as a result of it. In uh, your son's name, amen. Well, what's the first word we're going to key in on here, on this Ephesians 4? Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, So he starts off with therefore. 
and it reminds us of the whole of Scripture. You just don't start taking off in one little verse, but you, you take it to its, its entirety. And we know that therefore is a, it's a conjunction. And we have a connective here which leads us on and points to the life that we are to live in light of the doctrine that has been given to us. Uh, doctrines we've already seen. So we're getting into that great big word, sanctification, being set apart. We have been set apart at salvation. You cannot separate sanctification from justification in that sense. But we continue to be sanctified. We have already been justified, but uh, we continue to do the sanctification on a daily basis. It has to be worked out. It has to be uh, worked out in the light of uh, what the the truths of the, the doctrine of um, first three chapters have been. Um, we just can't take justification and stop with that, can we? And then later on say, hmm, I think I'll take sanctification now. So the two go hand in hand. They work together, although they are separate. The moment life starts, as far as eternal life is, is concerned, the moment it starts is when we already have um, been in the process of sanctification. It starts at that moment. It's like a seed. There is a life in the seed, and we know that it eventually germinates and it grows. Uh, the life is there. And so that's what it probably kind of means when it says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. The salvation that you've been given, manifest it, work it out, bring it, uh, bring it out that's inside. And it's not... Uh, let go and let God. How many have heard that expression, the famous bumper sticker, and everybody always likes to say, let go and let God, but it, it's not. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a daily um, practice. It's a daily work. It uh, can be a grind sometimes, uh, living uh, in, this, in this world that we are in. But it's, God has it all planned out. It's a good thing. Um, right doctrine, though, we, we go back and we see that right doctrine is essential. We cannot live the Christian life without, without doctrine. It's, it's impossible to do good works without knowledge of, of God's Word. But we can't stop there. But we can't stop at our experience. We can't stop at our works either. So they work together. Uh, sanctification is a result of the doctrine and experience. It's the life of God in our souls. I think, uh, can't think of his name. Henry Skugel. There we go. I think he had a title uh, in a book, The Life of God in Our Souls. The Life of God. He lives in us. Hey, let's go to um, some other um, books of the Bible where it does this, where it says, therefore. If you want to turn back a little bit and go to Romans, you have basically 11 chapters of mostly doctrine. And believe me, there's application in, in in a lot of these chapters, we already have seen that, but as a whole, you can divide it up and see it that way, doctrine and application. Romans chapter 12 then says, I beseech you, therefore, or I beg of you, therefore, or I call alongside you, I parakaleo you, therefore, brethren, because all this, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So it gets right into then the application of it. Uh, another one would be found in Philippians. You can just go 
cruising right through the New Testament and see how Paul operated. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, first uh, couple of verses, little epistle there, isn't it? So little I can't find it. <laughs> hey, we have them here. No. Therefore, if there's any consolation, any comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. He goes right into unity right there. He gives you chapter 1 of Philippians. Uh, in, in Philippians, you get uh, a great prayer there. You get uh, Paul saying to live as Christ, to die as gain. And then he talks about striving. He talks about suffering and uh, for, for Christ. And then you get into chapter 2. and He says, uh, therefore, because of this, if you have any comfort, any fellowship, fulfill this out. So that's, that's Philippians. Uh, how about Colossians? Colossians, another little book. Uh, get into chapter 3. It's going to do the same thing. I think it's 3. Verse 5. In the first four verses of chapter 3, he says where we're at. We're sitting in the hand, heavenlies. Well, you know, we are uh, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ. That's doctrine, isn't it? We died. Our life is hidden in Him. Uh, Christ is going to appear. You're going to appear with Him in glory. And then He says, Therefore, put to death your members. Cut, them, cut it off. Um, John Owen called it mortification. Mortification of sins. Mortify your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion. Get a list there of some of the things to cut off, to starve. Uh, keep those from dominating your life. Therefore, because of what happens. And you go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul operates on that principle all the way through, doesn't he? And he prays for the church. And then he says in verse 1, Finally then, brethren, finally then, same as a therefore. Finally then, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So there's walking. There's pleasing. It's very, very similar to Ephesians. So, um, Paul has that pattern, doesn't he? And that is uh, living the Christian life as he puts puts down doctrine, and then he sets that forth. Okay. Um, have we covered therefore good enough? Okay. What's the next word that's so key there? He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. We've already kind of covered that before back in the great uh, chapter 3 where he talked about the mystery and then he went on to bring forth the prayers at the last half. You remember verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner... And you think, oh, that's right, he's writing this epistle from Rome and he's emphasizing the fact that he is a prisoner and they need to be praying for him so that he can get out and that he can do things out on the outside. Well, not really here. He's really saying the prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
God used him in Rome to write the letter to the Ephesians, which we have so richly, uh, would it be safe to say, I am thankful to the Lord that the Lord kept Paul in prison to write this letter that we have such benefit from. (laughs) Such a great doctrinal letter, and Paul was able to have a little time on his hands and uh, pen this for us. But that's that's really who he saw himself as, a prisoner of Christ. Or another thing to be thinking about is that he is a slave. He's a slave of Christ. So often he calls himself a, a doulos or servant, but it, it, really the meaning of it is a slave, a slave of Christ. He serves him, lives his life for him in every way. So, and Paul be that way. Yeah. That's what we are. We're not free to live in that old life anymore. We're not set free to do that. We're set free to live in the grace of Christ. Well, it's um, the freedom is really kind of myth, because you're either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin and carnality. Yeah, Romans six there. That's right. So I don't. I don't think there is. We've been set free. Yeah. Free. Set free to serve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an incredible. Uh, it's the real yeah. kind of life. Serving Yep. That's what it's about. Technology doesn't really make sense. When we try to put God's work into our terms, we don't make a lot of sense. Hard to, uh, well, to the world, it's foolishness, God isn't it? Make sense. But it's not God that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. We're just trying to learn what re- the real way is, isn't it? Remember the song? Uh, I think Truth did it. Uh, up, world upside down. Yes. Something like that, right? Yeah. Live a life upside down. Yeah. And when you start finding the principles of what God's truth is, everything just starts just being filtered out, and all of a sudden, it, you know, it's, yeah, we lived in an upside-down world, and you know, there's still many things that the Lord is showing us, will continue to show us. Well, and all the things that we call, you know, dichotomies, or you know, that seem to be. You know, opposing each other aren't. <laughs> you know, we're free to be a slave. How does that make any sense? It's, you know, and that's just our, that's just our terminology. It's, just, it's, we, 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 it's really hard to put God's thoughts into our language. Fools. Uh, foolish. The way I try to think about that is like how he holds everything together and, you know, there are no rogue molecules and stuff. So by serving God, being a slave to Christ, is he, we're right where he you know, has us to keep us in the orbit we're supposed to be in. You know, that's where we're supposed to be. We're fitted there through him. And... Uh, Otherwise, before Christ or outside of grace or whatever you want to say, you know, we tend to start to, 
self-destruct or whatever, you know, in that, that kind of moment. Uh, so he holds us together. But I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the slave thing and the, the prisoner thing, the all that, I think that's, you know, we uh, work with this long enough and, and getting the biblical language, it, it starts to really make sense. Well, don't you think that something like the term slave or the term prisoner has such a negative connotation that, you know, but there's no, how else do you say that you're completely given over to whatever God says? I mean, that's like the the galley slave, the lowest slave, Mm. you know, that's just completely given over to do whatever God wants. And the only term we really have for that is slave, and that's a negative term, but it's not a negative thing. If we see it in the light of what truth is here, we say, thank you, Lord, for yeah. making me that. Yeah. You know, there's concern with the master. The master before was us. Now our well, Paul gave us a lot of analogies. First um, Corinthians 6. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We're not our own anymore. Thank the Lord He set me free from myself, for you were bought at a price. Now that sounds like a slave being bought. Wouldn't your then nature continue to battle against that, though. Oh, boy, absolutely. Don't I have some little freedom on my own? But positionally, you don't want to belong to the ruler of this world, which is in the spiritual realm of Satan. But now you have the power not to respond to those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you You don't belong to Satan and you don't have to follow him. And that's and as we grow in, in, in the Lord, we we start to realize that that's how much we want to give up. We we are to for, forget ourselves, right? Deny ourselves, and we, we know that passage. But uh, it, it's a constant realizing that's that's what it is, and we only gain when that happens. It's a great thing. And Paul, I think when you say he knew he was subservient to Christ in every aspect, he knew what the cost was to follow Christ. And it almost cost his life many times, and he would he was willing to give it up. But uh, it only happened in, in the uh, timing that God had. In every aspect of his life, he, he gave that to the Lord. His motives, his standards, his his objectives that he had, all of his plans were subject to the Lord. Everything was focused on that. Everything. Boy. So I would say you'd, you could say that Paul set the Lord continually before him in every avenue. Regardless. Quite a, quite a statement when we realize that we're prisoners and we think, boy, glad I am. Yeah, I'm just learning what that means, though. You know, I'm, you know, I want to let him take more and more away from me. The less I have of me, you know, uh, <laughs> more of him. And, and then Paul, not only is a prisoner of the Lord, but he's a beggar. 
He's a prisoner and a beggar because he says, I beseech you. Now, how many times have you heard that? Or I entreat you. Or I beg of you. I implore you. You've heard of all those words. and Different translations will have that. Well, the word is something you're familiar with. You know what the word is there, don't you, in the Greek? Para kaleo, or paraclete. Call alongside, as the Holy Spirit is one that calls alongside, comes alongside and helps us. Paul pleaded with them. He begged them. He pleaded intently. He begged and implored them. I mean, he is begging. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And I'm begging you to walk worthy. Quite a statement he makes. Every believer should have this concern to entreat people, to implore people, to beg people that they would be obedient to Christ. We have that same kind of concern. A lot of times we may not say it that way, but we, for other brothers and sisters in Christ who might be struggling and if you could only come up there sometimes and say, I beg of you to walk worthy of the Lord. You, you pray for Him usually. Uh, not always do we have the opportunity to say something. It may not be the time to say it, but hey, be ready in season and out of season though to, to preach that Word. Look in Acts 26. Yeah. Oh, Bart, go ahead there. No, I was just going to say that when you use um, the floor or the or whatever, those words in part a sense of urgency too, you know, you need to do it now. In NIV it just says I urge you which doesn't to me it doesn't sound like right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little a little stronger than say, Hey, I'm suggesting this. Yeah. You know, it's I urge you. I'm yeah. yeah. Well, that's what ESV has too. Mm-hmm. Urge. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that is But that is that that para plan or uh, what was the Greek word again? It it's well it's parakaleo uh-huh. which is to call alongside. Yeah. So our English versions are really trying to grasp this what, what he's saying and it 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 you know, in this context it would be something dealing with it with a begging of or coming alongside and really really urging them? Maybe we can say really urge, right? <laughs> Emphasize that, yeah. But I beseech you, brethren, right? You probably learned those when you did memory verses at some time, right? I beseech you therefore. Um look at Acts twenty six three. Here's Paul and then Agrippa. And Paul is before King Agrippa and Bernice. Remember Bernice? Well, everybody loves Bernice. They came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And so Paul goes before him, has his opportunity here. And then in 26, uh, one, Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and, and answered for his, Can you imagine the king is saying, Okay, hey, go ahead. Go ahead and speak for yourself. <laughs> You're turning this over to Paul? Paul is going to take the opportunity, isn't he? I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am accused by the Jews. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you what the deal is. That's what Paul's saying. Especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. 
Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. I implore you. I, I'm really urging you here to hear me out. And so then he gives his early life. He tells the story. Agrippa opened it up. And he said, and Paul said, okay, hear me out then. I'm, I'm begging you. So he kind of uses that thought there. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's see what Paul does with the, the same word here again. Um, he is uh, talking to the Corinthians and telling them to forgive this particular individual who has uh, been in sin. It says in verse 8, Therefore I urge... Now, there's a word urge this time. Okay? Oh, <laughs> fascinating. What, what, did, what is it? You have beg ESV, right? Huh? I, I reaffirm you. What does it? Do you have an urge back there again? What kind of urge? Okay, urge. Okay. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I'm urging you. I'm 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 coming alongside here. This is all the same word. Yeah. Same Greek word here. So we've seen in our English translations they go back and forth depending on maybe the writers or the uh, translators' context and what they're putting. But they keep these. Words keep appearing back over and over again. That's interesting. There's urge that time that I had. Uh, then Galatians, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And again, it's going to be the same word. Brethren, I urge you, I beseech you, I call alongside here, to become like me. Oh, he's begging them to become like him. Follow me. Entreat. I entreat you. I implore you. You don't have urge that time. I plead. Matter of fact, that's done pretty good there. I'm pleading. To become like me, for I became like you. Anyway, uh, that's kind of the thought. He really had a concern. So he entreated them. He implored them. He begged them. He urged them. He wants them to be obedient. He wants them to walk worthy. So I beseech you, and that's our next word, isn't it? To walk. That's activity. It's movement. It's progress. It's our daily conduct. It's our daily living. Our day, Sometimes you'll see the word conversation and we think of talking. I think in the, the old English they use conversation. That's the, uh, a manner of living. Uh, but this is your walk. Daily conduct. Daily living. I think of Back in Ephesians 2, verse 10, everybody knows, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should... What? Walk in them. Okay, here's what He's done. He's put His works in you. That's what He created you to do. He's going to do that. Now He says, and this was done before the foundation, so that we, in time and space would walk in those good works that He gave us to do. Our, our, our daily living, our, our, our walk, He says there. So, that, that is a key word in this anyway. This is our title, isn't it? Walk worthy of the call. So, what's the next key word? Worthy. Walk worthy. Oxios. 
Greek word. I don't need to know that, but I don't run into that word a lot. But it means to balance the scales. Um, it, it means to um, have your daily living correspond to the position that you have been put into. So it's dealing with um, weights and measures here, balancing the scale, or having the doctrine and making sure that your walk compares to that doctrine, that it corresponds to that. Uh, being equal. The doctrine is equal with your living. And how often have you heard of people say, yeah, I don't go to church because they're hypocrites. Well, we're all hypocrites, you know. We act like, you know, sometimes uh, we're Christians and we're really not maybe being obedient in that way. But, uh, but you know what they're saying. There are a lot of people in there that are really not living the Christian life. Well, that is true. That's, that'll happen in every church. That's the way it's going to be. There's going to be, and there are wheat and tares, or there are Christians who are not really looking like Christians, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3. Mm-hmm. We, we still sin, don't we? Yeah, believe it or not. But he says, and that's why Paul says here, walk worthy. You're in Ephesus. Okay, well, they have, they have uh, temple prostitutes there. That, that was the kind of lifestyle that people did. They had all sorts of uh, different things. You know, there was Diana. That was the big cult worship they had in Ephesus. A lot of other things going on there. And uh, what, a, what a worldly city it was, too. And he says, okay, now, you walk worthy. You walk worthy. You balance the scales. Here, here's the truth that you have. Uh, you think of Ephesians 1 through 3. Think of all that great mountain peak. And he says, now your walk has to be equal with that, with what's been given. Look in Philippians 1, 27. Take that same thought there. Paul says, only let your conduct be worthy. Worthy of what? The gospel of Christ. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That the, and you know what? He's going to say the same thing here. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Unity. Ephesians is going to do the same thing. They all do that. There's one thing that he were really after, that the Lord is after, that he has foreordained that we would be one in him. John 17, the great prayer, for instance and, and uh, many other places. Um, look in Titus 2.10. It's going to use a different word here, but it's the same kind of thought. Titus 2.10. Uh, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may, look at this, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. He says, okay, don't be, don't be stealing and, and um, um, answering back to your masters. You, know, um, you want to live a really good Christian life. Uh, adorn that Christian life. Wear that. You're wearing the doctrine of God. They know you're Christians. You want to wear it on you. Make it be seen outwardly. Hey, Bill. Yeah, my King James says not for loining. 
What is it? Not purloining. Oh, that's why we had New King James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to look it up in New American Standard. <laughs> what is it, Eldon? I think the word here is not pilfering. Okay, keep going. But showing, showing all good faith. that. They may adorn the okay, of adorn. Is that the word you're talking about, Bill? Yes. Adorning the doctrine of God? Yeah, the, the verse is not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine okay. of God. Okay, adorn is the word, so we don't have to pay attention to that other word anyway, because it's out of context right now. No. <laughs> okay, adorn the doctrine of God. Wearing. Adorning is something that you wear that's on you, right? So you live it. Okay, now, worthy. How many songs are there that's entitled, Worthy is the Lord? Well, we are to be worthy. Worthy of our what? Our calling. Walk your daily living, your activity, your movement, your progress. Let that be worthy or balancing out the doctrine that you have. Live that out of the calling. And the word there is klesis. Or we can think of ekklesia. Now, is that, is that starting to ring a bell there? What is ekklesia? Called out. Called out one. Very good. Uh, ek being out. Klesia. Called we, as the body of Christ, the church, the church is known as the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for church. So when we think of church, people say they go to church, but they are the church. We go to a building to meet, and it's assembling, and so go to church is okay. But, uh, we are the called out ones. We have been called out, and we, we're associating that word with, with a calling here shortly, but this walk worthy of the calling... Uh, uh, this clasis. So, this time, right at the moment, it's not this, but it's this right here, the calling. And so we spell it that way. That's that's where we're at. Uh, the, there's a general call that goes out to everybody, and this is what all Arminians would appreciate, and Calvinists should appreciate, because it's the Word of God. Uh, there are hyper-Calvinists that probably wouldn't appreciate this verse, but uh, 1730, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The calling goes out to everybody. Uh, there is the sense of many are called, but few are chosen. The ones who are not chosen by Him are not going to answer the call because... They don't want to. And neither did we until He put it into our hearts to, as we were regenerated to uh, come to Him. But anyway, that, that's a general calling in a sense that we are called to go and give that gospel out to everybody. Give a general call. We don't know who the elect are, so we give that out. Let God work it from there, right? That's a general call. But then there is the effectual call. You guys should be familiar with that, right? What's an effectual call? Well, it's a call that is effectual. What is that? 
Effective. Right. Effective. It's, a, it's effective because everyone that He calls that's been chosen are going to come to Him. Aren't you glad you know that you have a God that isn't just calling out there hoping that they might come to Him? Sounds like a failure, doesn't it? kind of does, doesn't it? Sovereign, effectual call to salvation. That's, that's the idea. Without God calling us, choosing us, or our choosing Him would be futile. He has to call us. In fact, no man would ever want to come to Christ. Okay, guys, ready for a whirlwind bunch of verses dealing with this specific effectual call? Let's, let's go through them. Here we go. First Thessalonians 2.12. That you would walk worthy of God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He calls us. The call. Did you receive the call? First Peter 2.9 so this, uh, this, is, the, is the Greek word any different there? I think we're dealing with the clasis there. Uh, and see, that's that's why we, we can say that that word call can sometimes be a general call yeah. or so it can be a specific call. Context. Here, yeah. yeah, that's the next... It's too bad there wouldn't be a Greek word that would mean uh-huh. that specific call, but it's the same Greek word. Right. So, and, and you're right. When you interpret Scripture, now we have to be in... What? Context, context, context. And so by interpreting that, we backed up and and we looked and we say, okay, well, this is all dealing with that calling, the ones who are are Christians. It wouldn't be to all all the world is not, I mean, uh, all the people in the world taking believers and non-believers are not going to be called into the kingdom of God. The unbelievers are not going to be called in there. So we know that. Okay, First Peter two nine. Now this is a song here. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, to show forth the praises of Him who has called you. There we go. Out of darkness, out of darkness, <laughs> out of darkness, into His marvelous light, into His marvelous light. How many how many people remember that one? That goes back I bet you Janice and Elder remember that. I wasn't a believer. This goes back to the eighties. Was this before was this B C Bill? Yeah, it'd be B C Now Audrey might have heard that one. No? That was the first. And I know you guys and uh and Zach doesn't even remember either. So but I figure Janice and Elder probably you guys probably used to sing that song too. Yeah. The reason I remember it is because that's how I memorize scripture. Uh, that's good. Give me a and you still have today. <laughs> when was the last time we sang that song? Probably 20 years. <laughs> we might have to do that sometime. But but that's what scripture uh, songs do. They they really help you remember. We used to do those a lot. Uh, go to well. Everybody knows John 6:44. But let's let's go there. Let's go there. I love it. I love it there. I love to be there. 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him 
and I'll raise him up the last day. Draw him, call him. This word is a little more forceful than calling. <laughs> it, it is helko, is the, the Greek word, H-E-L-K-O in our English, to draw him. It means to snatch, to take by force, is the <laughs> idea there. Uh, he, he, he's going to... Uh, not just lead us. He's going to bring us on in there. He's going to make sure that we... That's effectual, isn't it? Uh, Verse 65, same chapter. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. We're not seeing that same Greek word calling there, but still yet it's saying that when you're only going to come to him because there's been a calling or there's been that drawing, Right? Go to Romans 8.30 and that one should stand out in our minds very easily because that's part of the golden chain. And of course, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined, these he also called. Now here is definitely a an effectual call here. No doubt about it. The ones he predestined, he will call. And the ones who are called will be justified. And those who are justified will be glorified. That's the thought of it there. Boy, an Arminian really has to stress this section out, and they don't spend much time in it usually. Um, They'll move right on and maybe go into verse 31, but a true Arminian wouldn't like that section either because it says you you know they believe in losing salvation, and that section talks about God's everlasting love. But if you've been predestined, then you are going to be called somewhere in time. And when you are called, you will be justified, declared righteous. Yeah, it's all about Him, isn't it? But that's dealing with a calling there, uh, very specific. Luke in chapter 11, verse 29 of Romans. For the gifts and the calling of God are... Irrevocable. The calling of God. He never goes back on it, does he? First Corinthians one twenty six. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, according to the flesh, remember? Not many mighty, not many noble are called. And then he brings in the the eklektos word, but God has chosen, that's your election, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things, things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Okay, we know that section, right? For you see your calling, brethren. Don't you see your calling? This, This is how it works. He's chosen the foolish things of the world. Of course, he's already defined what, what foolish is. The message of the cross is foolishness to the ones who are perishing, but it's actually the power of God, isn't it? Ephesians 1.18. Oh, that's the book that we happen to be in. What about that effectual call? I would say there are a few verses dealing with this. This is not some kind of doctrine that is just taken out of context, is it? I say verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. And that is a specific call. Philippians 3.14 
A lot of times we've always looked at election verses. Uh, these are calling verses that really are paralleling election verses. Philippians 3.14 I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That upward call. Press on. Do you think of that calling? Yes. There's another one in Second uh, Timothy um, two twenty-five. Let's go there. With, uh, okay. You got it. You got it. I, Hit it. I have, with a All right. Correcting those who uh, who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. That one, boy, when I actually showed that, I was like, aha. Did, did that tackle you? That knock you down? And that's repentance. So that you can know the truth. You can't know the truth until he does that. Yeah, it does. That would be more in line with what our prayer would be for those that do not believe that we want, you know, to believe that we are praying for that God would yeah. That's right. That's right. What scripture was that again? I was right. Oh, it was um Second Timothy. Second Timothy. I've forgotten all the times I've told people. Uh, Second Timothy two twenty five. While you're, in, were you in Second Timothy there? While you're in Second Timothy, are you guys still there? Yeah. Go to chapter one, verse nine. who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This is not some kind of Romans 9 thing and we don't have any other verses to go on. This calling and electing and God choosing and before the foundation, it's all over the place. How can you escape it? Wow, it's there, it's there. Somebody's not reading their Bibles. <laughs> uh, they probably are. I'm just missing it. Sorry about that. We're not always uh, Yeah. But how many times do we read and we miss things? Oh, I did for years. I confess. Yes. And I still do. <laughs> That's why every time I pick up the Bible, I find out something I missed before. I go, how did I ever miss that? I'll be doing that till the Lord comes back. till I go. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren. Oh, I like that. You guys like that? You saintly brothers and sisters. Hey, you holy brothers and sisters. Like that? It's pretty good. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider. Think on Him, the Apostle, the High Priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Boy, the Hebrew writer there was saying, you're holy brothers and you're partakers of the heavenly calling. My, that's high thinking, isn't it? Second Peter 1.10 this, this is not just Paul, is it? Peter talked about it. We see it in other places we've been turning. Second Peter um, one ten. 
Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And there he's talking about adding on to your faith, virtue and knowledge and all that. You will not stumble or you will not start doubting your salvation or just falling over the place. If, you are, if you're walking along and if you're nearsighted like I am and you take your glasses off, sooner or later you're going to be running into things or stumbling, falling, you know, stumbling over something on the floor. I've got to have my glasses on. But the moment I take them off, I'm short-sighted. Uh, I'm nearsighted, but... If you drive a car, a new driver, they will try to watch the road right in front of them. And as they do that, they, they, they're a very jerky driver. They always say, you've got to look out. <laughs> you're supposed to look out further. And then as you look out towards the goal, towards the thing, then you know your ride will become smoother. Yeah. Where you're heading, right? Other drivers jerks. I could be right. You could be right. Right now, jerks. So, but if you're short-sighted, what's going to happen is that you're going to be stumbling. He says, "Okay, uh, be diligent to make your call and election sure." If you've been following these things, if 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 you're showing fruit uh, of Christ in you then you're going to be blessed abundantly as it's stating there in verse 11 you know and and we know that we're we're going into the kingdom and um, we know we're there uh, Luke 19:10 uh Jesus came to seek and save the lost God was not just content just to make possible salvation okay I'm going to throw it out there and whoever can come to it, they're going to be saved. I'm going to make it really clear there, but there it is. It's up to you. I'm throwing it there. What did Jesus do? He came to seek and save the lost. He called the redeemed, the elect, and they were to himself. And, uh, of course, the calling was made possible by the grace of God. The calling is is even before there's justification, as we looked at in Romans 8.30. And in an Acts 16, you get a good, vivid illustration of how uh, a salvation came about uh, with, uh, is it Lydia? Acts 16? Yeah, Lydia. In Acts 16.13, uh, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down, spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. She's not a Christian yet. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart, opened it up, um, made the effectual call, the opening of the heart. It regenerated her so that she could understand now the truths that she didn't know before. So there's a little bit of uh, the call to walk worthy. There, now, what he's going to do is show well, what does a walk look like? What, what, how does it flesh out here? What, what is the walk? Uh, what, what, what pertains to it? And he gives characteristics. Uh, it's a general appeal to, to unity. And he does it here in Ephesians. Uh, you see it in Corinthians. 
You'll see it in Philippians. You'll see it in Colossians. You'll see it in all of Paul's letters. What he wants them to do, and I think if you go back to Ephesians 1, verse 10, you'll see that here's the ultimate of what God is doing for us. He, this ecclesia, this called out ones. What does he want in them? That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. I mean, everything's going to come to that culmination, but he it's a, it's a oneness there, bringing together everything in perfect unity and harmony. We don't see that out in the world today. We don't see a perfect unity and harmony. It's quite clashing. You ever heard uh, instruments being played when everybody's playing in different keys? You see it in the church, too. What, when they're playing in different keys? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, we see it with the church, too. With, you know, there's a lot of disunity within churches, and there's a lot of disunity with denominations as well. That's right. Because there's unity in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, think on that one for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> primary objective of God's plan for salvation is that He would bring Jew and Gentile together. He's done that. You know what sin does? It always divides. Man against God. Man against man. Even man against himself. That's what sin loves to do. It divides. It divides. Division. That's a uh, the peculiar mark of, a, of really a, a, of Christians is that they are called to preserve the unity of the faith. To preserve that. Not to make it up or to start it. It's already there. God has given it. But we're to maintain or preserve it. You know, what we're getting into are some low words humility, <coughs> gentleness. We've been put up on this high summit and then we get into chapter 4 and he says, we're to be humble. <laughs> and if you're a, a Roman citizen, you don't know what that means. You have no idea. It's not even in the vocabulary. I am not kidding you. You know who started this word for humility? The calling which you were called with all lowliness? Christians started this word. That's the etymology of this word. It came from Christian. And some say it might have been from, guess who? Paul. Now, it's in God's vocabulary. But it wasn't out in the world at all. Um, they, uh, they just despise the, the, that kind of thinking. It's totally foreign to their kind of thinking. The Christians come along, coin this word, and it's one of the most elusive of all the characteristics. Just when you think you have humility, you've just lost it. <laughs> Once you think you have it, you forfeit it, right? Uh, the world exalts pride. Uh, the first sin was pride. Humility is the opposite, and uh, it's something that we always are striving to, to get, but what a characteristic it is, and it's only really of a Christian. The delight of a Christian is to enjoy his free, merit, unmerited 
mercy and grace that God has had and that we are not esteemed in this in ourselves, but God is esteemed. And so that first word that pops up uh, for characteristics of the ones who've been called as lowliness after coming from the summit. It sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? The way that he came in such a lowly way, the way he was born, the way that he lived, the way that he died. But then, on the other side of that, comes back as the great king. And he is the king now, we see that. But he was a servant while he was king. Didn't look like a king. Or he is a lion, but also a lamb. Those are the divine excellencies of Christ. Edwards uh, wrote about that in, uh, coming out of Revelation chapter 5. So the opposites. That's where you get into the, the, the what the Matthew five, um, the meek shall what inherit the earth. It's uh, worth it all, isn't it? And of course, Christ was that that way. It's hard to imagine him being um, having to be a humble king. But, uh, so he is. Anyway, we probably better stop there. And we'll go on to more of the characteristics of the ones who've been called. I think we're in for a good study. Thank you guys for all your participation and all the thoughts that come out there as we look at this because this is where we're at. You know, this is where we 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 live this stuff out, and uh, this is our this is our calling, isn't it? This is our Christian life. That's how you turn this off. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to, if you want to hear what that sounds like, you can go on the uh, the internet. I can't even turn it off now. It didn't go off. It's it's sti- it's still going. Okay, stop. It doesn't stop. I put it on hold, and it's still going.